may have a seat. It's good to see you. I, uh, I want you to know that as summer goes on, I don't know if it's just me or if it's just you, but I, I have this, this, this awesome excitement of my kids going back to school that has been amplified by this last spring semester, and also this greater respect and love for anyone that has chosen to homeschool their kids, um, like my mother did for almost six grades of my childhood. I have multiple times thought in my head, how did she stay sane? I, I don't know. It's been six months, and she did this for six years. It's, it's just crazy. But then also, uh, of course, with uh, everything else going on in the world, that's the way I'll phrase it, um, uh, this panic in me that what if we don't get to go back? And what if things stay this way? Corona doesn't scare me. It's my children. <laughs> that's, that's ultimately what's coming down to. I just, I'm just telling you. I'm just trying to be a good parent. I'm just trying to stay above it all, above the sea. It's an interesting dynamic. Children are a blessing from God. Should be grateful for them. I'm saying that only with a laugh because I'm trying to believe it some days. Continuing our series in John, uh, so excited to talk about John 13 today. Uh, not the entire chapter, just the first 22 verses, but this is a section that I think you and I have seen uh, portrayed and seen demonstrated a lot in, uh, in action. Uh, we've seen it and heard it talked about a lot. Uh, it is probably one of the most polarizing ideas that um, God as man in the form of Jesus has done. Um, it's one of those things that when Jesus did it, um, I don't think we fully understand. We can kind of illustrate it and talk about it, but we don't fully get it. Um, I'm going to do my best today to kind of talk about why John would introduce it. You know, John doesn't include everything in his gospel. He kind of leaves some things out intentionally, uh, and anything that he leaves in, he does it with purpose. And so if he leaves this story in, you know that it has to have incredible purpose. And so I want to remind you, if you haven't been here for a few weeks, or if you're listening online and you missed a couple weeks, I want you to know that we've come from kind of this crazy place where John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. Remember, this is just, I mean, incredible miracle, right? Come out of the tomb, Lazarus, Lazarus does. And then we have just this recording of reactions afterwards, just this outpouring of reactions. The, the you know, Sadducees and the Pharisees like want to kill him immediately. Uh, the brother of, of Lazarus, or the mother, the sister of Lazarus, uh, comes and like, like bathes Jesus and like anoints him with like the most expensive thing she has in her life. Like that's her re- response. You have the crowds of uh, Jerusalem that re- respond by saying, save us. And they want this political king to come. And they like throw, you know, Hosea, they throw the palm branches down. And then, then you have kind of these response of the Greeks that want to know, you know, what's his plan. And he kind of tells them the plan. And they're kind of like, eh, I don't know. And, and then you have the disciples' response. And they're kind of like, we're with you, but we don't really know what that means. And so I feel like John 13 kind of gets to this place where I think it's kind of trying to draw you in. It's trying to to give you this understanding of what your response to Jesus is going to feel like because it, it, it has a really awkward place in it. Uh, how many of you guys in here just love people staring at your feet? Like if we just took your shoes and socks off right now and we all just walked around and just stared at each other's feet. Who in here would just be comfortable with it? See, we already have one person leaving. They're like, no way, I'm not going to do this. I'm out. We're washing each other's feet today. There's no way 
that's going to happen. I'm telling you, uh, this is one of those moments. Now, what's, what's crazy about this place uh, and that, that I want you to stay in this awkward place is that you and I have these awesome things called shoes most of the time. Uh, and when you have shoes on, your feet are actually protected. Now, I know they sit in the little greenhouse that is your shoes, and then they get new smells on them from those, depending on how quickly you change them. But I want you to know that most people walked around with their feet open to the world, and they walked with them. Not ride in cars, not travel down the road uh, by, like... <laughs> This is the building that I'm going into. This is my car. This is the car I drive to. Then I drive to the next place. Then I walk from the car to the next building. That's not the way they use them. They went from building to building. As one of the little girls that came in here today, I said, hey, did you come in here by yourself? And she said, yeah, I rode my bike 500 miles. And I said, wow, that's incredible. Um, that's more accurate <laughs> uh, to what we're talking about today. And as awkward as it would be right now for us to take our shoes and socks off, and for us to sit and look at each other's feet. I promise you, if you just walked in bare feet all week, and then I was like, we're going to look at everybody's feet today. You would just be like, no, we're not. We're running away. We'll never do that ever, ever again. This church is weird. Let's leave. I want you to have that thought in your mind as I begin this, because that's where the disciples are at. They've traveled a long distance. They've come a long way. They've come to this festival, which means there's just a ton of dust and people around, so this, the crowds are huge. There's, there's animals that are using the same roads, so there's just all kinds of debris on the same roads that they're walking, and then they're coming into a small, confined room because there's not much space in Jerusalem around the time of Passover, so that means there's not a huge amount of space, but somehow, it's like God designed it. They get a place, and they're together, and they're, they're hanging out in this space, and they don't have these big tables where they stand up above their feet. No, they, they lay down and they curl up next to the table. So their feet are like right at the same level of faces around the table. So it's incredibly important what their feet look like. It's incredibly important that those are taken care of because it's just going to dirty everything up. So that's the context here of John 13. Let's just dive into this passage for a minute. I want to break a few things down. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. Now pause. This is just John doing his little thing. Remember, the, the writer of this gospel just loves to just stick his head in and commentate. You've got to picture that. He's just sticking his head in, because this is something he discovered afterwards. <laughs> this isn't in the moment of the story, even though John is present, most likely, in the story. Loved him to the end. The evening and the meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Jesus. See, there's him sticking his head in. And he's like, just in case you're wondering which Jesus it is, the son of Simon Iscariot. All right, just wants to make sure you know the guy that betrayed Jesus. Make that guy famous for all the wrong reasons. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Oh my gosh, you guys. If you could just... Picture that for a moment. Wouldn't you love to have this confidence when you're going into something? Put all things under his power. He had come from God and was returning to God. So what's his response? What's his response out of this? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, 
He poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. Now pause. I drew the picture for you, okay? I want you to think of it like this. They're all in the room hanging out. They all haven't had their feet washed yet. They're probably a little nervous about the smell. They're probably a little nervous. They didn't have a servant who would normally wash them, probably with them to do this job. So they're just kind of like, hey, we're all guys. We're all hanging out. It's no big deal. We'll make it work, right? We'll be fine. And then the most important person, the son of God, who he's claimed to be multiple times around them, gets up, wraps a towel around his waist, takes off his outer garment, which would be the the position, the status. And then he gets down on his hands and knees. Now, I want to give you a picture of why this is important. That last two verses there, four or three, four and five, are just the most important thing. So I want to give you some thoughts here. Empowered with all authority, empowered with all authority and power. (laughs) Sorry. Empowered with all authority and power and Perfectly positioned and purpose-filled. Go to the next slide. There we go. Empowered with all authority and power. Perfectly positioned. That's a double entire. That's whatever. Perfectly positioned and purpose-filled. So what does he do next? I want you to think about that for a moment. All authority and power. Perfectly positioned and purpose-filled. So what does he do next? If I am Jesus, and I know I have all the power, and I know I have every, if I'm positioned perfectly to do my job, so what does he do? And this is where I think we get a glimpse into why John put this in here. Let me just give you the answer. So, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be taken to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Basin and the towel. This is actually out of Philippians. This is Paul explaining what Jesus is doing. It may look like he's washing his disciples' feet, but he's telling them, he's showing them what he's about to do. You can see this in the way that Jesus continues with this conversation in the next few verses of John 13 with with Simon Peter. Here's where it picks up in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, so he hasn't got to all the disciples yet. He said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter just asked the stupidest questions. The stupidest. I don't know if he thought he was going to jump over Peter. He's to Peter, and he's like, oh, Peter, you're good. And he just keeps going. Like, what is, like, what is this question? Like, I just, I don't know. Put yourself in Peter's position where he's just like, yeah, he needs it. For sure him. Jeez, what are you doing? I don't need this. You don't wash my feet? Or, if you're like me, if his feet are really dirty, if he's got, if he's got the extra dirt on his feet, and they're like caked. And like the others, they're like, they've done a pretty good job, but he just didn't really care. He just kind of went for it, you know? And his feet are nasty. And he's looking at him, and he's like, no way, Jesus. You can't. Don't do this. Jesus replied, you don't realize now, huh? 
We do with Philippians. We do with Paul. We do later. What I'm doing, but later you will understand. Later you'll understand. He keeps the conversation. He goes, no, Peter. <laughs> Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. That is like one of like the Peter's like statements. You're like, oh, buddy. You're the guy that you're going to lead the church? You're going to lead the church. This is the guy that like, Jesus like, upon this rock, upon your confession, Peter, upon your, you're going to be the person, no salvation needed for me. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord Peter said, and this is why, see his heart, not just my feet my hands and my head as well, my whole body, everything in me. I don't want just a piece. Finally, Peter, just the hard-headed Peter, starts to pick up the signs. He's like, oh, maybe it's more than feet going on here. Maybe I should, maybe I should let him do this. And then Jesus gives us this perfect explanation of what's going on. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their, their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you is for he knew the one who was going to betray him and that is why he said not everyone was clean pause again this is john interluding in here so that's kind of stops here with the quote and then john kind of sticks his head in here and goes he said that because judas was going to betray him just just keep imagining john just putting his little thoughts in there verse 12 when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what i have done for you he asked them do you understand what I've done for you. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I am your Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When I read that, that's terrifying. Because as I asked you earlier, if you all just started taking off your shoes right now, and I took off my shirt and brought out a basin... And I said, all right, got to wash your feet. Jesus told me to. How many people in this room are like, i got to go to the bathroom? I'm out. No way. But again, what if? What if you and I are empowered with all grace and truth and perfectly positioned and purpose-filled? What if you and I are empowered with all grace and truth, perfectly positioned and purpose-filled, so we should what? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your father humbly in love. Or how about this one? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against one, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all these virtues put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. Empowered and positioned well. I don't know if you've ever been in a... Oh, I am young enough that I've had a few places where it's happened in kind of the professional world, but very few. And even then, it's got limitations. But I'll tell you, I was an older brother for much of my life, which meant I babysat my younger siblings a lot. That was my first taste of power. Anybody else in here, the older sibling that watched their younger ones? That door creaked shut when their parents left. And then you just turned. It's my house now. My rules. Right? You remember this moment? Mom's going to be gone for a couple hours to the supermarket. You're picking the movie. You're, you're taking an extra dessert. No questions asked. You're putting kids in time out like it's nobody's business. Right? All authority and power. Perfectly positioned, purpose filled. As a parent, I feel it too. Feel it as a parent? You ever looked a three year old in the eyes and thought, you don't understand who you're talking to? Feel like Clint Eastwood? Give him the stank eye, dare him to move. I will draw faster. I can run faster than you sometimes if I don't hurt myself. Stronger than you if I haven't hurt my back in the last week. I know where you sleep if you stay there, when I put you there. I don't always act pretty well. Similarly, sometimes I feel like that older brother, more than a parent, more than a father. I think we all have those days of struggle. How about this one, though? How about, how about when someone did you wrong and they know you did? You know they did it. You know, like they, they messed up, they forgot, they blew you off, they got caught. And then you and them are standing, you're just standing in front of them, and you can just watch them just shrink because they know. You have, ooh, in that moment, vengeance could be yours. All the things that you want to say, and most of the time as an adult, isn't this true, that those moments are so far and few between that all the pileup of all the times you didn't get to have that vengeance from the moments that you didn't get to have the person right in front of you, all the family members and past hurts and pains, all the things that the people got away with, you know, and now you got this one person in your Venus flytrap of confession, and now you're like, oh, you're going to just come down with all authority, power, Perfectly positioned. I think about that a lot when I think about those first few verses in John 13. Jesus has been given by the Father all authority. He recognizes that this purpose is set, that he is going to leave and then come back and everything's going to be okay. And the next thing he does when he recognizes his opportunity is take the cloak off. Get a basin. Get some water. And do the lowest job 
in the house. Think about our world right now, you guys, a lot. Most of you do every week, every day. It's terrifying. There's a lot we can't control. There's a lot we won't know and we'll never know about current events or future ones. But I promise you this, uh, if you are a Christian, you have not lost the Holy Spirit. You are still empowered with God's grace and wisdom and truth. It is still in you. You have not lost your purpose. God has not forsaken you. He may walk away from a nation, but he will not walk away from his people that call on his name. I've never been more certain that we are empowered with all grace and truth, and I have never been more certain, never been more certain than we are perfectly positioned to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. But I'll tell you, the things that I would want to do with those grace, truth, and position are not the things that I feel like God is calling me to. I must tell you, this is a convicting message because the influence of the lowest servant washing feet in the world around him is little to none. The impact of a person being placed on a cross on a hill of bones, that's what Golgotha is. If you've ever read that in the New Testament, it's the hill of bones, because people that were crucified weren't allowed to be buried. Their bodies just melted off the cross and their bones stayed right there. It's a place of shame. Common criminals. Person that gets crucified has no influence. But I'll tell you, there is power in this story that sticks with me. There is power in this story that I think helps me in today's age. Let me give you one more illustration, one more little story, and then I just want to give you kind of the conclusion in the simplest way I can of this whole section. I listened to a preacher out of Atlanta, and he was talking about the time he got to go to the Colosseum in Rome. It's one of my favorite stories. He had bought a book on the Colosseum and learned about how they would flood the floor and they would use it for naval battles at times. They had this aqua ships come in, and it was large enough that they would have naval battles inside of this Colosseum. He had learned that they had over 100 cages for exotic animals that they would use for all kinds of different things. They had learned that they had a full-size jail on the other side for combatants, that they had full-size uh, grain barns and these storage units, and all this in, like, was in the catacombs. And now, because of time, it had kind of opened up. And so you kind of had this ability to walk in and, and to look over the whole thing and to kind of see with the aqueducts and see how these things laid out. And you could watch and see this spectacular piece of architecture that was right around the time or right after Jesus was there. And so he's, of course, in Rome, just excited as I'll get out. And he's, he's walking into this place, just jazzed to check out these things that he's 
read about, knowing that this is bringing to life the world that he's read about in the Bible, and bringing to life this Roman empire that is so highly hated in the Gospels. And as he walks in, there's these main entrances. There's the slave entrance, which is a small one that's kind of dug out, but then there's this main entrance that the emperor would walk in, this entrance that was large enough for him and his whole kind of kind of entourage to make their entrance into their kind of stadium seating. And as he's walking in, he looked up. And there was a cross hanging over the gate of the Colosseum. And it was one of those things that he describes the story as he walks in and he kind of goes under this cross. And he starts to think, and he said he missed the whole tour. He, he walked around, he, he saw the things, he looked at the aqueducts, he saw the cages, he looked at the grave. But all he could think about in his mind was there's a cross over the emperor's gate in the Colosseum. You guys... The image of that cross when the Colosseum existed was shame, guilt, betrayal, and absolute torture. The symbol of that cross would have been something that would have displayed defeat, ownership, authority and power, and purpose to do their will upon the world. The Roman world. But just a few thousand years later, There's a cross that hangs above the emperor's gate of the Colosseum, and it's it's not it's not a cross that displays guilt. It's not a cross about future torture or domination. It's a cross that brings hope. It's a cross that shows love. It's a cross that shows absolute sacrifice. And it's hanging over the gate in the Colosseum. He couldn't even finish the tour without going like, I got to talk, I got to tell, I got to say something to somebody. And I'll tell you today, if you want to leverage your authority, and if you want to leverage your position, For your own will, for your own opinions, forever should be crucified, forgotten, left out. I'll tell you this, when Jesus was given all authority, perfectly positioned by his Father, he responded by humbly serving on purpose, with purpose. If you do nothing else in the time period that we're in right now, if you are confused, frustrated, alone, depressed, sad, angry, disappointed, whatever you want to call the emotions that flood your mind these days, please do not miss the fact that you are still absolutely empowered by the Holy Spirit with all grace and truth, that you are still positioned well, and just because the impact takes a longer than your lifetime 
does not mean that God cannot put a cross over the gate of the emperor in the Colosseum. He is not through. He is not done with you. He is using you, and this is the way he has done it, shown it, and described it. When he says you'd be good to do this, it will bless you. He does not mean it will bless you in the sense that it won't have consequence, that it won't have a cost. He is saying it will use your life to the fullest. It will demonstrate my love to the fullest. It will be my kingdom to the fullest. Blessed are those who do this. I wonder if you and I just made this our goal. Find the lowest thing. Find the thing that no one else wants to do. Find the thing that looks like to have no impact or little impact. And do it humbly. Do it on purpose, knowing that it's serving a greater purpose. That's how Jesus operated, and maybe, maybe we're just supposed to recognize the basin and the towel. It's not about dirty feet about humble hearts, transcendent. Let's humbly serve one another in love, on purpose, with purpose. Let's do that.